All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing, and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, friends, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and today is Christmas, or at least I'm going to pretend like it is. Ho, 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 Josh. And I got Santa Claus to join me on the podcast today, uh, which was crazy because I stopped believing in Santa, and now Santa's here. Uh, You heard the ho, ho, ho. But he hasn't stopped believing in you. Ooh, nice. That's like the whole, yeah... I've always wondered, you know, in like Christmas movies, how uh, all the parents are always like, Santa's not real. And then there's like Christmas presents that show up and they like never question how they got there. They're just like, yeah, Santa's not real, but somehow all these gifts get here. That's bad. I I just think they only have uh, all family Christmas movies. The parents just have such poor communication. They both think the other one did it. (laughs) That makes sense. That works. I, you know what? And if that's how it worked, I'll totally take credit for it. Like if Noel was like, wow, you did all of that in one night, you know, like when I have kids or something, um, I'm like, yeah, it totally was me. Even if it wasn't, you know, score it happens. Some points. It happens. <laughs> now, Josh, rethinking faith podcast. We're going to, we're going to do some Christmas fun right now. Yes, correct. But then, then we're going to have Christmas merriment on the member feed. So if you are a listener of the Rethinking Faith podcast and you want to, we're going to have a, a, just a straight, straight up normal two-way Christmas party right after whatever the serious things that happen here are. So this is my encouragement to go support the Rethinking Faith podcast. I got to be one of your original Patreon members. You definitely are. I joined early. They're blowing up. Come on. Rethinking Faith got a new logo. Uh, it's got a new logo. Shout out Tidyco Creative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kristen Sari at Tidyco, giving him a little aesthetic facelift. Uh, encouragement, engaging more on the socials. They should clearly follow your Instagram. Um, this is just trips like uh, hijacking your introduction to tell them to make sure they they're supportive and stuff. 
Well, that's respect. I, I appreciate it. And I'm also, I'm going to be doing some fun things in the new year that I haven't really talked about yet, but. Uh, that's for the members corner. Okay. Well, how hey, are they going to know? You, if you show me yours. Gonna... <laughs> look, it's, just, it's a tease. It's a tease. <laughs> it's a tease. They're going to come behind the curtain. When you get behind the curtain, a number of things will happen. We can't tell you what they're going to be. You might hear about new things that are happening in the new year at Rethinking Faith. Um, I do have dates and location for theology beer camp. I might, I might mention that. Um, we might, uh, I might read a recent text exchange with like famous people that turn into an <laughs> argument that was entertaining and I, who knows what's going to happen. We might, we might just call a random friend oh, on shoot. FaceTime while we're in the, while we're in it. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, so, all right, for your kind words and encouragement and lure for people to engage the patron episode, I have a gift for you. Right. I purchased a book today um, that I think you like, and I thought maybe I was going to read like a paragraph out of it really quick. Okay. And you're, And I want you to guess what the book is based off me reading. And like, I'll stop reading as soon as you guess what it is. But I literally okay. purchased it today, so you can't see it, right? I think no. it's out of my frame. No, I'm distracted by the color-coded bookshelf you have. Shout out, Noel. All right, <laughs> here we go. See how long it takes you. <clears throat> he knew that something unexpected might happen, and he hardly dared to hope that they would Ooh. pass without fearful adventure over those great of the old mountains. It's Fellowship of the Rings, the unexpected party. With lonely peaks and valleys, you're you're very close. Should I, should I keep going? Follow my own rules? Or, I mean, it's it's part of Lord of the Rings, but it's not Fellowship of the Rings. You're in two towers. Oh, the Hobbit. Boom. Well, that's not the well, first not line of the, of the Hobbit. Oh no, it's not the first line. That the oh. first line. I was going to read the first line, but it's too easy. In a okay. hole in the ground, there lived the Hobbit. Yeah, it's in the it's in the first sentence. I know. Well, well, the Hobbit and Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring are the two of the, of the books, the ones that begin in the Shire, and right. it has a discussion over the space because both of their journeys, you have to attach them to home because part of the genius of how the Hobbits are able to resist the lure of the, of the ring and its power is that ultimately their primary and deepest love is of the community and where they came from, the land, the people, the culture, and this kind of thing. And it's that deep, deep love and the friendships that come out of it uh, that, that where you're content in that space and you don't desire the kind of power where you get from like the leaders of Rohan, the leaders in Gondor, and then the perversion of this kind of power as it runs through like the, in, in, well, in the larger story and the elves and uh, the dwarves and such it's, uh, but yeah, it has to either be Hobbit or Fellowship of the Rings if you're starting in in the Shire. And uh, yeah. if that's what you want to talk about for Christmas, we can go for a long time. <laughs> well, so I I got this today. I went to uh, it's a bibliopub that's near my work, which is sweet. It's a book, an independent bookstore, and they decided like, hey, you know, it'd be sweet if we had a bar upstairs. So then they did that. And uh, they had this on the shelf, and I've been listening to ever since I listened to you and uh, Nick uh, do that episode about how like Lord of the Rings should be a Christmas or is a Christmas yeah, movie. It is. It's, it's a great, it's a great episode. And I was like, you know, I've seen the movies, but I have not read the books. And so I started listening to Fellowship of the Rings. I am currently uh, in the 
you're going to hate me for not knowing exactly everything, but it's the, the underground mines they go into on the side Moria. of the mountain. Boom. So that's where they're at in the story as I'm yeah. listening to it. Yeah. Good bit. Uh, Did you get a little misty when they set the horse bill go? Yeah, it was sad. Sam like felt a certain kind of way about it. Yeah. Bill gets that one little bit in the extended edition, but you don't get the whole relationship with Bill the horse. And then, and Sam's the one with a little eye, an eye for the animal kind in a unique way. The St. Francis of the fellowship, if you will. Dude, Sam, Sam gangster. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's the most awesome hobbit. <laughs> I dig it. Well, I'm working my way through. So hopefully that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to increase my level of nerdiness. Um, you know, as, well, every, uh, I'll just tell you at cultured, any point, you know, at any point you want to have a, on a member speed podcast talking about Tolkien, I'm game. It's not going to be hard, but, uh, and if you want to talk about it more in the member time, we can, but right now I think your editor is going to be like, how long are y'all talking before it gets to the content <laughs> of this episode? You're, I was just trying to tell people they should go sign up. You get it. That's catnip. If you are going to talk about Lord of the Rings, Dodgers, hard. new signing, <laughs> Shohei Otani, or or like the Lakers just won the in season tournament. What do you, how are you thinking? Like, there, there are only a few topics that could derail your entire podcast. <laughs> I picked one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we'll, I'll push you off of it then for now. Although, I think one, it's probably for my benefit too, because me trying to talk about Tolkien. Uh, would not go well. I'd be like, yeah, like I know there's some rings and stuff, but um, what I wanted to do <laughs> was like, <laughs> what I there wanted to do, yeah. And there's uh, some are there's a greater ring and some lesser rings, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the ring possesses you as much as you possess it, etc. Um, I yeah, no. All right, I'm gonna stop Lord of the Rings because yeah. Christmas was the idea that Christmas. I originally intended. It's hey, you want to know fun fun fact? You know what day of the year it was when the Fellowship left on their quest? Christmas Eve? December 25th. Come on. Dang it. The Fellowship right, well, leaves. Softball and I blew it. December yeah. 25th. Yeah, the Council That's... of Elrond, my favorite chapter in Lord of the Rings, is it ends right before that. But anyway. Yep, that's one of the reasons Lord of the Rings is a Christmas movie and Die Hard isn't. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I so we we can do go one of two ways. I so recently, as you know, I've been working at an Episcopal church as like the parish administrator. Yes, which means I've been getting very uh, comfortable with the liturgy of the Episcopal church because I like write bulletins every week, mm -hmm. and so I've been thinking a lot about incarnation. And yesterday I did an interview with Elia Delio and I was like, hey, this is how I'm thinking about incarnation. And she smiled and she was like, you must have read my book. And so I was going to throw you oh. how I've been thinking about incarnation and then, you know, see how you, you would critique it or maybe shift it or change it. And then I wanted to talk about A Christmas Carol because it's my favorite right. Christmas. Incarnation. Josh. Do I get to ask you questions in that make you tell us your thing? Is that how this works? We can do it that way. Sure. Okay. Incarnation. Um, uh, number one, how do you understand, uh, apart from anything unique or distinctive about the person of Jesus, how is God in the world in relationship? 
Yeah, outside of God and Jesus. Okay. So I would want to say something nice like uh God is present in and through all things. Um or maybe we can talk about uh God and creation, the universe being entangled. Um something like that. And so God is present always in and through all things at all times. Um is intricately interconnected with creation. I would say maybe even be as bold to say that uh, without God, there's no creation, but without creation, there's no God. They're deeply interconnected and intertwined. Okay, so, um, well, that does change how the notion creation normally works. A lot of a lot of times when Christians or all monotheists more or less use the notion of creation, uh, that's because creation's source is in God. Uh, underneath what you just said, there's some kind of uh, um, everlasting relationship between God and the world. And so creation would not be just the reality of an other to the divine, but what, right? Like w- the the growing complexity, diversity, relationality of the God-world relationship that is what creations are referent to. Is that does a question make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I think this is where um, I'm still trying to feel my way in understanding some of the more processy type language. But the in my understanding within Whitehead, or at least how like David Ray Griffin and Cobb talk about it, um, you have like a plurality of ultimates basically so at least three you can have uh god call it creation the world and creativity and so they're all kind of like interconnected and they kind of all work together and so that's how i would talk about um creation then i guess is one of those three things or i guess could you even say like the the consequent nature of god is that another way you could say here well, let me try something because the way you said it, I've it wouldn't have been how I I wouldn't have okay. said it that way and it made something pop in my head. Um, so you're saying something like God and the world uh, are always already entangled. Creation uh, is the actual uh, fruit of of t- that happens in time of that God world relationship. Every moment of becoming is a creation, right? Then there's creation in the sense that the world having order and and creativity is an act of creation. But one of the things we notice when we look at the cosmic story is that, I mean, we really only have access to our space time and that knowledge is limited, but way more than we used to have uh, that uh, in our space time, uh, there have been habits that are formed early on that still remain the same. So they're still inherited moment to moment, but on top of them, all sorts of new things have come into being from the quantum level to then like physics and then chemistry. And then life starts to play with the chemicals and then you get life that can have the conversation we're having. Right. So in some sense, creation is the fruit of God in the world entangled moment to moment and creation is an ex- the ongoing expression of the divine desire, lure, gift of possibility, and the world's response to it. So creation uh, is 
you know, in, in some sense deeply about both because, you know, Whitehead has this, uh, uh, has some, Oh, what, what's the line in process and reality? Something like, uh, without, uh, without the intervention of God, uh, there, there would be no creation. Right. And what he's trying to say is like you, a lot of people would take my idea of uh, this vision of God and be like, well, if God doesn't create out of nothing and God's not in complete control and God's not outside of time, well, what's God doing? And his whole point is like, I don't know, uh, structuring possibilities. So anything other than pure repetition comes into being and offering possibilities to creatures at the level of their, you know, a, their ability to receive like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> it's. Anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. Like maybe a, maybe another way you could say it like would be that uh, creation perhaps is the actualization of the divine that previously only existed as a possibility something like that mm-hmm. um yeah because that's that's so like if we were to take that idea then and move it to something say like jesus i would want to say something like the uh possibility of the divine um exists in and through all things including uh trip fuller and josh patterson and in each moment of becoming that divine uh spark or possibility is um insisting or luring inviting us to uh make what exists as a possibility an act- actualization so what was cool about jesus is that jesus fully uh gave into that divine lore actualizing like the will of god or actualizing the divine creating god to such an extent that jesus literally becomes the image of the invisible god because he's like fully uh, making real that divine possibility or something like that, or fully giving into the divine lure, or uh, I've heard you say like faithful, being faithful to the call in each moment. Um, and that what that's one thing that makes Jesus unique is that Jesus did it like perfectly. And then the cool thing is, is like you and I have an example where you can be like, oh, cool. Well, we can do that too. We're just less good at it. <laughs> we're just less. Well, I would just like to confirm that we're both less good at responding to the call of God than Jesus. Um, there you go. Uh, now, okay. So, are so it seems to me that you know broadly, I think most open and relational theologies uh, would say the God-world relationship they may vary on how they see it beginning, but that God being present to the world and engaging each creature's uh, agency in a moment, like that is a natural thing. It's not an intervention. It's not a breaking of creation. It's a very right. natural thing. We, if you think of how humans experience our relationship to contextualize ideals like love justice these kinds of things we we think of it as like well what would love look like in this situation right it's like what you're going for when you ask a trusted friend or the wrong friend right you're just wanting encouragement to be to be dumb you're you're just like i think i'm good to drive right you know and you don't ask like the sober person yes the person has <laughs> drank longer than you like but they're they're having an influence on you um and just to clarify that was not an endorsement of drinking and driving it was how <laughs> the you've been there right where someone does that and you're like you you're 
they're in a worse state than you. Why are you doing this? But then you ask like that one person who like is going to call the better self out of you and be like, well, obviously you have a smartphone. That's why Jesus invented Uber, right? You know, like you see the different things. Um, and, and so like once for all the open relational type theologies, uh, like God's always present and informed in the sense of having been fully participatory, the other kind of feature you mentioned at the beginning. So then the question uh, is not like, does God break a system to show up, but how, but, but if God is always potentially expressed, what about what happened in Jesus makes it not just, it not it makes it unique, makes it definitive, makes it, uh, maybe like a breakthrough of some sort, right? Like the moment the system doesn't break for God to be present and involved, then the incarnation starts to sound different because the incarnation is not like, oh, well, it's like how God parted the waves at one time and then God got Mary pregnant and who knows exactly how the details worked. Uh, but don't worry, uh, Abba will do it again at the resurrection. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus needs some help on some of the miracles. I don't know how that works. There's that weird passage in Mark where he couldn't do it in his hometown. I don't know. Maybe God was occupied. But yeah, like once you get this framing, then the question of the incarnation is different. Do you remember, like, like do you remember having that shift? Right, like part of the podcast has been people hearing you kind of move and think through things. Do you remember when take this doctor, like something like the incarnation or thinking what, how do you understand Christmas when the framework shift where it wasn't, will this help me figure out a different way to say what I was always going to say, but Oh, how do I think through this topic? Maybe with a different operating system or something. Yeah, I think I remember when it, when that shift made me the most uncomfortable, uh, I was doing a bit with a mutual friend, Dan Koch. And then also, I do you know, Jed from church and other drugs, uh, Jed Payne. I don't do drugs. He, all right. Well, yeah. So Jed, <laughs> Jed Payne has a podcast called church and other drugs. Uh, Jed also does not do drugs. Um, he is an addiction counselor. Um, but what's, one thing that's cool about Jed is that he has done all of the drugs in the past. And so like, if you want to know about one, you can just ask him, he'll tell you what it's like. But anyway, we were doing See, those <laughs> conversations make me want to do those drugs. <laughs> right. But when you're doing it with an addiction counselor, they can be like, but don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If this was the, if this was the members only feed, I have a story and a joke, but I'm not even going to say it right now. You know? Well, I have one I can share with you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we were doing this bit about like uh, religious pluralism, basically. And um, Dan kept like asking questions, asking questions, basically tearing everything down. And it got to the point where like the one thing that I felt like I couldn't question or I didn't want to let go of was the idea of the incarnation. And Dan asked me, he was like, why is that so important to you? And I didn't have like a really good answer, but I just, it felt like the thing that I could still cling to and hold to. And so that 
pushed me to ask myself the question, why is it that the incarnation is so important to me? And how can I believe it when like right now I'm holding on to this idea of incarnation in such a way that um, doesn't really fit the way I think about other things, but I also don't want to let it go because this is for whatever reason, I was like that, like, you know how when people preach or like do theology and such, they come from different angles. Like some people start with the incarnation and they're like, that's what's cool. Or they're like, uh, the only thing that matters is Jesus died on a cross. Or some people do like Jesus is, you know, life and teaching, whatever it is, the ascension. Um, for me, it was always incarnation because it was like, oh, cool. God became a person. I'm a person. That must mean people are kind of cool and I want to hold on to that. <laughs> so that's kind yeah, of where yeah. I started and, asking questions. And I would say questions. like like even historically, the doctrine of the incarnation was like the doctrine the church was clear on that then generated all the other arguments. Right. So second and third century in the early church, you're get when you it you know, if you take as normative in some sense what came to be orthodoxy uh in the broad sense, like Catholic, Eastern Orthodoxy, Protestantism, what they all share in common. Um uh I mean Athanasius is a good example in in the earliest Christological fights. Um and 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 you know what part of what he argues is that there's a famous line where he says that which hasn't been assumed has not been redeemed. And 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 it's it like it is the logic of incarnation. It is that his logic on, on the incarnation framed the way we debated and then eventually cultivate the concept of the Trinity. Um when at that point, because this is before penal substitutionary atonement or anything there, uh it's the it was what was required to activate the two dominant atonement metaphors uh at that point in church life. But uh but but here's the thing, like if you just assume monotheism, the craziest thing about Christianity is to say anything unique and distinctive about God by talking about a finite person. Right? Like it just that's just there. Like that's a thing. You, if you don't think it's weird, ask your neighbor who's devoutly Muslim or Jewish uh, about saying God, say God, man, uh, and, and and see what happens. And so, um, but but the thing I find like for those of us theologians who the incarnation functions as the engine, maybe not the philosophy Athanasius is using. And and then some of the others at that time, but this kind of will screw it. I will have a church council and an argument about this. You don't get to make Jesus less human than me. And here's the people he was giving a hard time to. We would not even imagine this, but there were Christians that wanted to make sure Jesus wasn't fully human. So they're like, well, what if the divinity snuck in? And obviously Jesus couldn't be like a real human because he's freaking God. And that's awesome. Uh, nothing like us. Maybe as like a God soul. They're like, no, no, I can't do that. Well, they have a, we'll have a, add a line to the creed for that. Maybe we could, uh, maybe as like a divine spirit or a divine mind or a divine will. They keep finding some part of the human they have to take out. And the, the, the church has all these arguments about it, but they keep going back to Athanasius and just go, no, no, no. That which has not been assumed. All like, and, and this is what I mean, like all 
if there is any part that wasn't fully a part of God, then God hasn't become fully a part of whatever that, you know, of that, of the human. And since we know God is experienced in our own fullness in the life of the body of Christ, this kind of thing, then we know all of humanity has been assumed uh, of Jesus' humanity. You could, there was no cutout. It wasn't like a part replaced with a little sneaky divine bit. And, and, and like we 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 look at back at this, I think, and misinterpret what that energy is about. The energy is about um, uh, for Athanasius is that the very character of God is is one whose deep love for the world can only be expressed by fully pouring it into finitude, and that pouring is not something that is forceful it's not something that destroys finitude by replacing the part of the human so jesus can be unique the fullness of god is poured out and in jesus we see what it looks like for finite something with a beginning and an end an individual that has born into a place with a context and a culture and all the things that we can't imagine ourselves without what would it be like for the fullness that is being gifted by the divine to be received by something finite. Well, would it be like, I mean, this is crazy. If the word, the eternal word that was with God and was God had, like had sandals, right? And, and the, the thing that to me at Christmas is so beautiful about the incarnation is that there was a time the conservative theologians had councils and called people heretics because they couldn't imagine a human being actually getting to participate in the divine life fully, just as they are, that they already have all that's necessary to participate in the divine life. But what they don't have that Jesus had is what? That's the theological question, right? Like when you start to go, then like you take this energy, you put it in open relational context and God's pouring God's self in every moment, gifting it out. Then you go like, what was it that Jesus is inheriting that makes his ability is it to, that the, the before incarnation is unique? What is it about um, the, the, the possibility showing up to Jesus and his particularity that make him unique? And then what is it right about what, Jesus does moment to moment that makes him unique. And if we think about the present, like like you mentioned, oh, you say faithfulness. Uh, I can't remember if they let me keep it this way. But when I, when I used to write it, I would say faith-fullness because that was just in response to like the way most Christians talk about the incarnation. Uh, like they – they, you know, we don't have one. We most conservative types today don't argue about weird philosophy stuff. They're just like, well, he was perfectly sinless, and then they, of course, most of the people that hear that then go, yes. Well, I mean, they did, they hadn't even had the internet yet, so he probably avoided porn easily. Um, I don't know how many curse words there were in Aramaic. Uh, you, you like, you know, they 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 impose sinless, and then on like that that context. Uh, and I think that misses the point, right? So if what Athanasius is saying is that which has not been assumed by the divine, or you'd say like that, what of his full humanity 
has not become a harbor for the divine love, right? Where like a harbor, you have all the structure and stuff of a harbor, but what fills up the harbor? What happens if it, if the love of the divine is all the water that rushes in to fill up that space? Like, well, we can't get rid of any of the humanity. We already called councils on this. And it, and if, if the waves and tumult and movement of all the oceans are always there for any creature, like, then what does it mean that what is he making space for and holding? Well, what if it's one where it's just not mixed like our water? What if it's one that actually lets in the fullness of the ocean of divine love? Like, what does that change about who he is and how it's expressed? I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I don't know why you would not have the coolest like the coolest celebration of the year when you get to the darkest time of the year will you spend a whole month setting up for it thinking about where peace love join all these things are absent in the world and you're thinking about these texts from the hebrew scripture like god why don't you do like you used to do and shake a mountain and come down and fix this junk out god you you hear us you start thinking through all these petitions all these texts where the people of god have canonized complaining that the character of god's not being expressed in history those are setting up for what second for what? Uh, what if it's an actual fully human being except what fills up their harbor what gives context to their finitude but the pure ocean of divine love and it doesn't come in in some way that relativizes this particularity. No, it fills up his harbor. Where was it? Second Temple period Judaism. His mama is Mary. You know, you start going through it. Um, and so for me, that's like uh, this uh, now, you know, because we're in the middle of this cosmic Christ class. Like I've been trying to think of an image. Uh, and 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 in the in that that like what's being given, like by the ocean of the divine is there. But the particularities of Jesus, it's like, what is that harbor that's making space for? And he has a particular vocation, he has a particular calling, he has all these unique things that are all there. But each of us have our own context, location, and place. Uh, and and at Christmas, part of celebrating the incarnation is precisely that God is the one that will give this, uh, like, when the tides rise moment to moment, one option is receiving you know, the fullness of love and what that looks like completely varies by your harbor, like your context, your situation. Um, and those are all, and some of the things about Jesus are completely unique in particular, just because of that. And other ones are unique in particular because he was fully faithful, not sinless. And some like I avoided this checklist, blah, 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 blah. But like, if you think of it as like, are you going to let in this water? I can guarantee you that if you are semi-reflective, you know exactly what it means to go like up to a point. And if you don't read the Sermon on the Mount, and if you get all the way through it and think you are doing it all the time, then get a therapist. And after you get like a a new level of self-awareness, then read it again. And if you still failed, reprobate. That was a joke, just to clarify. Josh (laughs) is laughing, but he was on mute. Yeah, and I'm just but anyway, what do you think of the metaphor? I was try, like that pot started popping in my head with the way you were talking about it. This is me saying back to you what I thought you were saying. Yeah, I so I I like the metaphor. The um, yeah, because I think if I mean, if I understand it correctly, the what I like about the, the harbor imagery is that like 
I uh, can still have my unique harbor, say, right here in Baltimore. And in the same way, you ha- can still have your unique harbor in North Carolina and, you know, whoever can have it in California or wherever they are. Um, but the, yeah, the the water flowing in is still is still the same as that. Am I doing this correctly? Am I following so far? Yeah, yeah, because the because in the other thing about harbors is they have different purposes. Yeah, some of them you're leaving out, you're going out on your yacht, trying to get your chill on. Others you're <laughs> going fishing. Others like really busy, lots of commerce. Others it used to be peak town, now it's kind of dry. Others it could be uh, anyway. There's all these variations of purposes different. and things, and that's the way of thinking. Like each of us have different. We have unique settings, callings, vocations. Uh, giftedness, all this kind of stuff, and so what? 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 Uh, one person, you know, if we maybe, I, I would love one day to go to bed thinking like, I would, I let the love, I let the love fly today. You know what I mean? You know, like <laughs> my harbor was full <laughs> as fuck. I harbored <laughs> up. I was harbored up, man. Uh, but the, the whatever that looks like is going to be unique to your situation. Also. Yeah. The amount of traffic a harbor has, like the amount of uh, infrastructure and stuff. They're all, I started thinking about this metaphor. Like, right, one of the things that shows up for people that listen to Rethinking Faith regularly um, is, is you've shared quite a bit on how, after discovering different um, contemplative practices within the Christian tradition, they, the activity of doing it has opened up potentials for awareness. Now you didn't have before. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think if you decide to pray for your enemy once it's awkward, the 5,000th time it's different. Like there's so many practices that reshape who you are and who you are in relation. And if you think, if you use a Harbor metaphor, like what, what's happening there? Like, what is all the energy around? What are the people doing? How many people? Like, it's a fun way of, like, giving particularities and going, like, some harbors can only even handle so much water because they haven't even figured out how to build things up. Yeah, (laughs) They could be, like, fully, fully occupied, running efficiently or whatnot. But the problem is there ain't no fish to catch. Or the problem is, like, you know, they don't even have, like, a good crane. I don't know what what harbors need <laughs> but the, so like there's always this dual element once you're in an open relation context that in a moment we're inheriting two different things one is who we've been like in the way that shapes who we are mm-hmm. and the other is we're inheriting who's god been like in our history we come to know god better through the history of israel jesus church we've come to know god better all those kinds of things we're inheriting a world that isn't just a very small instance of a quantum fluctuation with a high energy content. No, it's been a couple 14 billion years. So like there's, you know, there's this whole thing that's sitting there, but um, one of the things we think of, I think with the incarnation, if it's an intervention is, is, is it, it's so distant and so foreign because maybe the will of Jesus was removed or his brain has a divine brain, you know, and this kind of thing. And you go like, well, I don't know. Maybe like 
I mean, there's a lot of time of his we don't know. We basically get in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he grew in wisdom and in stature. And the next thing we know, he had fasted long enough that John the Baptist baptized him. <laughs> but, you know, so we don't know what happened, but it was something that led him to go see John, to have this ecstatic experience at baptism, to then go into the wilderness, uh, engage the temptations, and then go to preach uh, and participate announcing the kingdom of God in a way that parted with John's agenda and vision in important ways. Like something in the, the, like something has to happen in an open relational account where um, the infrastructure of the Harbor metaphorically of Jesus enables uh, a different volume of water to come in different, different activities to happen. If you're thinking of the, you know, with the metaphor, but you don't that doesn't matter to you if the only thing is the fact that it happened it broke God broke in this one time and did this one thing. Mm-hmm. But if that was true, what was the whole point of telling a birth story to begin with? Like, what is the point of telling any of the things that happened before? Why did Matthew and Luke decide to add these stories on? Why like why did John think it was important that what happened in Jesus was what was happening from the beginning? Like if it was just like God became finite rock some junk for a, a couple seasons of you know his traveling revival show and resurrected like you can do that without any of that but the text the more we know in the intros the, the there's an emphasis of grounding jesus longer in the history of israel and the story of god with the humanity and a god with the cosmos if you get to john uh and they start to show more growth and change in the life of jesus the, those things are things that are a part of our life. We only see his vocational ministry as the Christ in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. That's like the main thing because they're talking about his ministry. And But if we just imagine it happens in a vacuum, all of a sudden we're just like, oh, it's Christmas. This is when Jesus becomes absolutely nothing like us. But don't worry. Uh, in a few months, we'll find out that he gets resurrected, but we want the we want the perks. You know, it's. The incarnation becomes such a different thing to me uh, in the in a larger open and relational framework because it's it, it's both a model of what it, the potential is for us and as Christians it's the means right like we are baptized into we're nourished by uh, we're 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 sharing the mind of right there's ninety sometimes in the New Testament you get the phrase in Christ. And I don't think most theologians think it's true. I think they think it's a neat <laughs> metaphor. But um, that's why I love the incarnation. I love the incarnation. I think it's like the most important. I think it was the most important reason. Like we have, a, like when you got the theology arguments in the early church, the incarnation, and then it sets up all the other debates. Yeah. And and I think we it, we have to be the same. We have to defend the full humanity of Jesus because we love the good news that it was exactly the fullness of humanity that was assumed by God. And guess what? If that's potential there, guess what's potential for you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's what I'm talking about. That junk could get you pumped. Big time. It has transformative power. It invites you into something rather than like, Hey, there was this like cool time when God just, as you were saying, burst into the cosmos and did some stuff that only God could do. And now like, 
What is your charge? Oh, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. How do I do that? Because I have zero way to relate to this conversation. So yeah, the the I, the open and relational framework um, most definitely uh, shifts that. Um, but also, so here's here's what I've been wrestling with recently though, because I've been reading a lot about like religious pluralism, and specifically within like a process context where you have. Um, like the potential of multiple ultimates. So sometimes you have three. Uh, I forget the dude's name, but I'm reading another book where there's five. Uh, so on top of like um, the God, the world, uh, creativity, you get the receptacle and um, it might even like pick up forms. That might be what it is. I forget. Tom recommended it to me. Yeah. I mean, um, Whitehead would have, uh, I mean, okay. So, have y'all talked about this on the podcast before? Not so only with Matthew Lepresti one time and we did three. Okay. Well, here's a, well, let me just set it up real quick and you tell me if this sounds okay. right. And then you ask your question. Okay. So, um, uh, one way of describing what Whitehead's getting at in, in philo- his philosophical thing, is there a certain, there are certain principles that Western philosophies had uh, that he comes back to uh, because science is kind of requiring a more robust philosophy to make sense of uh, the, the new science right in the early 20th century. And, and, and so you, you if most people realize if you're using them theologically, like God might be involved, right? But for him, God shows back up on the scene, right? Science is investigating the world and the world, like what's happening in the world. And uh, one of the questions that initially comes to Whitehead that uh, as someone who kind of quit believing in God because of the problem of evil, uh, he's a minister's kid, uh, son dies in the world war, uh, reads a bunch of theology looking for questions on the problem of evil and is like, this stinks, gets rid of those dad's books in that part. Um, but as the news, as has he got more invested in the science um, in the early 20th century, he realized that we had something we needed to explain that we didn't realize we needed to explain. Uh, that 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 our scientific accounts of the world can talk about um, all sorts of predictable things about instances that happen, like what's there. But we don't have explanations for the larger getting of the process of the cosmos. Like, what is it that in one moment to the next moment uh, valuates and gives and, and where generative things can happen, if it's complete chance and random, observe you don't have explanations for a number of things. And and there's a long list and uh, that 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 he was in, like interested in. Uh, and this kind of really kicks off once general relativity. He's trying to make sense of it. And uh, and when he looks at the bigger story of life, it's like. Yeah, you can use a theory about our scientific theories and think about these individual instants. But the moment you put them up on a chart and step back, you go, well, if we're trying to explain this instant two million years ago and this one here, 
how in the world did you cultivate all of this, 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 um, like there, like, well, what, what's weighing, what's weighing the dice? We're not saying there's not the rolling of dice, you know, like the whole debate, like this God roll dice, but, but, but who, who's on a cosmic, this is generative of growing relational complexity role. Right. And so the, the initially for him, what later is called the primordial nature for God um, shows up like that there that there's a valuative function towards generative. You can see this in uh, in physics today, like one of the things that either people are embarrassed about and have to come up with theories without scientific uh, reference to it um, or use for their apologetic purposes. But something like. um the, the cosmological constants and then and you know the anthropic principle or fine tuning all these kinds of things where they're well here's the real data like blah 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 what do we do with this and some people are like well there is no purpose there is no thing that is giving generative power multiverse that's the way they do it and others are like well obviously this is the god of abraham isaac and jacob it's the trinity you know like and whitehead's not doing any of that he's going like well the word in the west we used for mind-like orienting of possibilities is God. All right? I'm just going to, and I'm not giving it all those things, just like this primordial nature function. And then, yeah. so he's sitting there, but like now once you have that, he goes like, what is it that, that God's in relationship to the world to, or what's God in relationship with that generates the world? Because the world is what happens when God's in relationship to something. And then he goes, well, Plato thought this, Timaeus dialogue, uh, lots of people did, uh, even a lot of early Christians and Jews. Just, like the creation out of nothing's not normal for the Bible, and there were plenty of people who thought God and the world are co-eternal. They've always been in relationship. This cosmic epoch, the thing we know in the world today, is one of its little adventures. But that there's some receptacle or creativity for Whitehead, the that which all things participate in and nothing particularizes thisness what it happens when thisness and god relate the world hmm. they world what do they do together they world they're worlding <laughs> right? right so if we just even so once you get to that you have three different thing uh, three different hmm. parts of reality that have always had this ongoing dance of sorts god creativity uh and the world what happens with it? Um, forms come in. If you realize he's reading back in the West and going, oh, I guess there was good reasons they came up with all this. And now science is making us re realize these things. Now, part of his is because he was a mathematician and quite a brilliant one. So like, well, we don't have to go on an aside, but like math <laughs> creates some problems. If you're a reductive materialist, just for self-justification reasons, let's put that. Yeah. But um but forms had been these kind of eternal unchanging things that then get particularized into particular situations. So we'll love as love is in love self, but we know we don't ever know that directly, but we experience love. And so in relationship to these eternal ideas of things, uh, we can, you know, kind of, Oh, well that's love. Like, well, now that he doesn't have this kind of perfect eternal world and stuff forms kind of function differently, but, uh, but for him, 
He's like, well, well, where are the values or the ideas that God is contextualizing in giving creativity uh, potential as it worlds? So this is these four things show up in Whitehead and they kind of build over time in his thought. He thought uh God is uh is ultimate actuality. Um and creativity is ultimate reality, right? Thisness, suchness, and uh God is ultimate actuality, the only complete actual occasion. Um but the so like for him right these different ideas of ultimacy their ultimacy about the kind of metaphysical frame that's just always been the case right for his own reason now the moment you get to those four ultimate does that make sense though how he got okay so the moment you get to those for theologians of different traditions when thinking with whitehead just like people of every tradition have thought through with Plato, you could end up being, uh, or, or Aristotle, right? There are Muslim and Christian and Jewish theologians, and sometimes the Platonist ones sound more similar to each other when you take out their favorite names and doctrines <laughs> than the our Aristotelians of that religious tradition and do it. So, so like when a process person, a process philosophy is being utilized in different traditions, you get in this space. Well, what else is new in the 20th century? Religious pluralism without colonialism. That's when human beings would actually just be hanging out, reading each other's texts and not thinking about how we witness to them or conquer them or kill them and steal junk. And so if you're sitting there and you're now you have this philosophy like that where God had to get reintroduced and then like, what is the relationship of God to the world and like that, which all things participate in. And then like, where do these potentials come from? And you start sitting there and you have all these ideas. Well, this is interesting. Have you noticed that the monotheistic traditions, the ones that like using the God word all the time, when they think about what they're up to in the world, it says they're always interested in like salvation. Well, what's God want in history? Like God takes sides. Pharaoh, let my people go. Raise Jesus from the dead, right? Like if you think through the, the monotheistic traditions, God desires something for the world that it doesn't always already uh, have or express. And God's invested in it, doing things. What is it called? Salvation. What happens when it happens? Reconciliation. You know, these kind of things. Uh, well, and then and then the philosophers and theologians using process think about pluralism go like, well, that's weird. Like, you know, a lot of Christians wanted to be nice and, you know, probably mute their Christology so their Jewish and Muslim friends didn't run. And then they were like, but we're all going up the same mountain. So everyone's saved. And then their their friends from the East are like, I don't know. Brahmin is Atman. Atman is Brahmin. Come on. You know, they're a little right. confused, and they're like, why are you trying to turn enlightenment into salvation? And they're like, well, obviously, all the religions have to do the same thing, right? Well, what if Whitehead's like, I don't know. Well, what if different traditions have been more attentive to particular parts of ultimacy? Different parts of the yes. Yeah, so like, what if the Eastern, what if the, what if the Taoists um, who have, have, been, have been inviting people to 
identify with that which all things participate in and nothing particularizes as a generative and creative response to the very same problems that we in monotheistic traditions uh, handle a different way by God taking sides, God desiring justice, God doing this, right? Like you start to see there's a different kind of wisdom. Well, what if you're over attached to your ego? Uh, What if you just think you're so freaking special? What if you think your pain is who you are or your possessions or who you are? This is interesting. Have you considered the way, the way things are, the way that's just how it rolls. Like, and, and now if you're try if you're in a river and you're clinging to a rock, you have problems. Mm-hmm. But if you're on an inner tube, it's really cool. <laughs> right? Like if you considered enlightenment or Hinduism, like the, the Brahman Atman line, right? Like it generates there or the Buddha. Right, like if you take his story compared to Jesus, they're both start in high places. Um, but what the wisdom they pass off is a bit different, right? And so you, you like when you take someone, say John Cobb, one of the earliest process theologians, to start engaging in religious pluralism, um, and uh, he spent quite a bit of time uh, talking with Pure Land Buddhists. Um, number of different uh, books. And one of the phrases he kept using is going beyond dialogue, right? Hmm. And why is because there's actually something to learn or gain about ultimacy, if it's a, a category of all four, uh, from his Buddhist interlocutor, that they have a community whose wisdom is about attuning oneself and being informed by the fact that you are particularizing creativity. And if yes. you cling too tightly, to it you cling too tightly to something that isn't ultimate and now you could go oh yeah yeah but you're an eternal soul blah 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 you know start going through all those things and john goes i don't know well you think god could actually be deeply invested in the expression of justice in a moment without being ultimately tied to the egos the individual finite beings are clinging to in it do you think god might want i don't know pharaoh to let the people go uh, without needing an eternal plaque of Moses handing the Ten Commandments over a bunch of Gentiles in a country they stole from other people and its wealth and power was generated by stealing people from another continent to build it up? Possibly. So so you start to see like how this philosophical framework became one where, well, what happens when you meet wisdom traditions whose wisdom has been honed by attuning to a different part of ultimacy? creativity Mm -hmm. then what next big break that happened in the story of this is from a christian perspective um um the 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 moment that happened now you had jewish and christian process thinkers going oh we're rediscovering the fact did you know that there are actually people in our traditions that spend more time at in reference to ultimacy of the creativity variety than ultimacy of the the god side and they're like, yeah. And they were, that's when that's when all of a sudden people just are just like, I love Meister Eckhart. They're finding <laughs> talk about the mystics, right? Like, so that starts yes. to happen. And then um, in the eighties, uh, I think it was in the eighties, was when the first conference uh, at Claremont, where um, indigenous uh, 
and indigenous religious leaders in America, uh, different Native Americans that had now learned process thought were like, well, you know, you in Whitehead, you have you, you Christians are hanging out now with your Buddhists and Dallas and Hindu friends. And y'all are like, well, there's two ultimates because salvation and uh, and enlightenment aren't the same. And now we can be mutually transformed by each other. We each have gifts to bring to each other. And it helps us rediscover these latent parts within our tradition that are there. Within these indigenous teachers, well, do you do know that we have uh, our wisdom's been deeply attached uh, to the world? Not creativity, the suchness that we the particularities matter, and the particularities are given a kind of reverence that we actually had a civilizations that. We're just attuned to its rhythm, and we learn to relate to it differently. And that actually helps you attune to the rhythms and relationships of life differently. And our creation stories sound like this, and our triumph sounds like this, and bravery sounds like this, right? And there's this other way. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, well, like once you've pulled that Band-Aid of going, oh, there's like whole traditions where people's entanglement with ultimacy has wisdom we didn't know yet. Like one is like, well, that's because they haven't been converted. And the other is like, well, we have it, right? Like there's something we get to gain by listening to people who've cultivated wisdom because their ear, they had ears to hear a different part of ultimacy. And so this introduction of taking the world as an ultimate seriously came primarily through uh, encounters with indigenous religious traditions. Uh, I mentioned this at some point on the podcast and got an email from uh, uh, a clergy in Australia that said they they listened to it, then went and read some of the stuff connected to it, and that's like really helped reframe um, their challenges uh, as Christians in Australia dealing with their indigenous population. And there's like that's a beautiful framework. Uh, and blah, blah, blah. And so you can see how this, the philosophical frame, right, then became like, well, just like if you're a Platonist in the fourth century trying to think through a problem, you have these categories and assumptions to work with. Now, if you have a different categories and assumptions to work with, then how do you engage difference? No, if you think incarnation in ways similar to we did, what we just said, where, and if you think of the different parts of the harbor imagery, all four elements of, of the other ones forms, but there aren't really religions of forms, but <laughs> right. uh, that's a long aside. Um, but we there the historic religious traditions tend to be centered either on uh, uh, God, creativity, or the world, um, there the religious experiences at the center of those tend to be for the those that are theists. Their primary piety engagement of ultimacy is personal imagery and language. Those that are uh, creativity um, have ground language, abyss, chaosmos, the that kind of thing. And then those for the world, it is the between the 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 sacred is the is the life flow between things now i say that and let's just say you're a christian process theologian and you're like 
well, maybe the Trinity's still cool. Now that I've reworked the incarnation. <laughs> you get using, all yeah, I, now I'm just like, what are the three faces of ultimacy that are bound together and interpenetrating Godhead of eternal love? Well, one expression of ultimacy that identity, this is, uh, this is just quality Trinitarian theology right here, whose identity <laughs> um, cannot be described without the reality of the other two. One of those is, is personal. One of those is the ground, and one of those is the between. And each tradition, if you spend time in a religious tradition, has all three. Each one will prioritize different elements over the other, and it gets expressed in different ways. But one of the gifts of pluralism, thinking in a process and relational frame, is that these wisdom traditions uh, have now have histories of fruit from attending to particular experiences that are now being shared. And when, when we listen and learn, we now get to, we now get to rediscover stuff within our own tradition. Just think of how many of you right now didn't even know what Advent was 10 years ago. That's been in the tradition longer than Protestantism. <laughs> anyway, sorry, yes. that was a long aside. No, but, fuck uh, yeah. But I, so that, I mean, that was very helpful for me personally, which I appreciate because now uh, for my master's thesis, I'm just going to submit this conversation and say like, oh, and the church should do likewise and it'll fulfill the requirements. So nailed it. Um, but no, that it's, that was deeply helpful because that's, that's kind of where I was getting hung up is like everything we just talked about. Plus also being like, yeah, but there's something unique and special about Jesus. How do I reconcile the two? And for me in that aside, uh, like you, you got at that for me. It, it, it worked. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, Oh, you want to know one of the full yeah. fun bits about this? <laughs> yeah. Like you, Okay, listeners, I'm this. This is now turned into way nerdier than a normal rethinking faith episode. But that's okay. Let's get nerdy. But um, okay. So when I had this whole idea, right, that and thinking through the way process does pluralism and things, and then thinking about the incarnation and stuff, and uh, um, and then like, oh, well, the the three the the, the, the three faces of ultimacy. I'm thinking of using that just because because. Most like in the philosophical way, people use a face is that which uh, where you recognize your distinction, right? You rec the other, you now know yourself in one in, in that. And so like, you know, yourself with encounters of ultimacy, be it like the ground, be it intimate companionship, personal, or the movement between. So then I said to myself, uh, because of my natural intuition, it might just be, they're like, we'll trip you. You went to Claremont, you, you liberal Protestant, you're like you're a Baptist. So you read the Bible too much, but then you worked at a UCC church <laughs> and you got a podcast. Like you think like you probably just, you're probably saying this junk. And so then I said, well, then, then how would all three be expressed personally in the person of Jesus? Right. This would be the test case, right? Like, cause that, that question of, I still want to say the things I'm going to say about Jesus. And, um, 
and so then like how would you see those other elements expressed in Jesus? Like Jesus is the most Jesus thinks God's so much more personal than most Christians think. He literally yeah. <laughs> told us he told his disciples, when you pray, pray this way, and it begins by our Father. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to know how many liberal Protestants do not begin all prayers by the ultimate being an intimate loving parent. Anyway, so Jesus rocking intimate companionship, personal notion of ultimacy. But you sit there and you go like, oh, well, how do, how does Jesus relate to concepts of like the ground, the source, this kind of thing? What pops in your head there? How does Jesus relate to the ground? Yeah, yeah. think of like a narrative of Jesus. Yeah. And you go like, oh, well, how do you get these, like this imagery, like where, how does he experience those? How does it show up in teachings, actions, this kind of thing? What's demanded by the gospel writers and that kind of stuff? Oh, man, now you're going to put me on the spot. See, that's the cool thing about asking questions is other people have to say things. Okay, well, I'll give you one example um, of why you're thinking. <laughs> well, how am I going to? How I, I can't listen to you and try to think. It's difficult for me. That's part oh, of what, you should... what caught me off guard because I was admiring the pictures behind you as you were speaking. But um, oh, fun right. bit. Well, there's one of all three there. Just to clarify, this is how <laughs> Meta Trip gets. <laughs> um, okay, but uh, go ahead. Okay, so give me one. <laughs> like one is like when you think of the grounding thing. Yeah. Uh, w- what what was the experience of Christ that 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 generated uh, the birth narratives and the preface in John? All of them thought that their encounter with Jesus had to be a part of a story that was a story for everyone. Matthew begins his by giving a genealogy where it's like, this is the most Jewish story you're ever going to hear. I don't even (laughs) give you the right number of generations when I tell you how many generations there are, but I definitely know David's fruit is all up in this piece. All right. Luke's like, no, no, no. Our encounter with the risen Christ, this is about a new humanity. And I'm going to give you a genealogy that's different than my friend Matthew's. It's canonized. It's not the same number of generations. It doesn't even include all the same people, which is a bit weird if you thought this was something other than a theological statement. But since we're in, you know, we're not dumb enough not to read both gospels with genealogies, (laughs) we wouldn't think that. So we know that I'm making a theological statement that what our experience that is so personal that we're going to talk about a resurrected Jesus. It's so personal. And yet the genealogy goes back to what? Adam, it's a new humanity. And John sitting there is like, humanity? You think this whole thing, these deeply personal, it's like, oh, it's, it's a personal experience. It's just about humanity. You know, it's about the very source of all things. It is the most personal story of a Jesus telling them about they have a personal relationship with Abba. And they both are like, no, this is a statement about our tradition. This is a statement about humanity. And John's like, hold my beer. It's the cosmos. Logos, right? Like, so like just everything that the gospel writers are doing once you start getting bigger, everything they're adding in the beginning is to go like this very personal experience. Was very, it's just very grounded in the whole thing of God. And then what, what, what happens once these, you see these doxologies pop off in Paul, you, 
I mean, well, we get the Philippians to him that has this whole notion of the wholeness of things coming back. And you get Ephesians and Colossians, all things uh, uh, being, it comes from Christ and going back to Christ in first Corinthians, all things are being redeemed. They, they, they have this, this insistence that like to under like you can't replace the personal because it's a freak guy you're talking about here, but it's also connected to like the whole. So sitting there right there. And um, anyway, sorry. That was my like one example I was giving you, you know, while you were, was, you were thinking. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good one. Um, all right. So here's. Okay. Well, I, one- I thought the uh, one you were going to say is like let the rain fall on the good and the bad or like there are all these teachings in Jesus who that where you're sitting right next to God knows how many hairs are on your head and the goodness of creations for each person. Or uh, you want to know what an affirmation of, of God as the source of all things could sound like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I'm not telling you justice doesn't matter. I'm just telling you the very source from which they come. That's ultimate. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but but here's the crazy, the one most people would think, how would Jesus even do these things? Like, how would you get, like, the between? I, like, literally think Jesus doesn't even know how to be the Christ without people. Like, mm-hmm. after the temptation, go- baptism, desert temptations, they immediately calls people. Throughout the synoptics, he's sending them out, sends out the 12, sends out the 70. In Acts, he pops back up. And he was like, oh, I, was, I know you thought I ascended at the beginning of, at the end of Luke, but I'm back because we got to do a redux. Y'all get 40 more days of preaching on the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to tell y'all to sit here till the Holy Spirit shows up between y'all. Then y'all going to go do the stuff I've always said y'all should go do. And I sent y'all out twice already and I didn't see it happening. So y'all just wait here. The Holy Ghost is going to come and then y'all are going to do the horizontal movement of junk. And you know what happens in Acts? It makes them have to forsake biblical christianity and reject multiple passages that require circumcision it has them uh the holy ghost shows up in places that makes them have to update their theology consistently they don't have to get snipped anymore and all that's happening in the between it's not attached anyway so like once you start taking this framework you see oh this is actually shows up here but we've always read it like with the lens of the incarnation which i have no problem doing uh I, I like had done this little bit a few months ago when I was talking to one of my um, Hindu friends who then was like, oh, this is fun. I was like, yeah, can you, you think you can find all three? And he did. And I was like, okay. And he was just like, you're the first minister to get excited to hear me give 20 minute rants on different parts of my tradition. I was like, oh no, yeah, but it's just proven a point so I could repeat this story to my Christian. <laughs> so I can. <laughs> But, so but like the, the experiences of yeah. all three, that you have experiences yeah. of the ground, the personal, the between, that you have yeah. uh, those narratives grounded in the tradition, that you have expressions that center on it at different parts in the history at different times. What is it like? Uh, what is it like to be deeply grounded in a reality that's made possible by Jesus opening up the harbor to the fullness of infinite divine love and Meet your neighbor and your enemy in places not bearing false witness, but being willing and open to learning, growing, and being transformed. Then, like to me, like one of the gifts of the larger process open relational framework is like a way of like, like it's giving you lenses to frame your conversations, engagements, and 
and such. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like it. The, um, I don't know, different lens. That's actually a helpful way to think about it. I haven't thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's helpful. And I apologize for not being able to jump quickly to three different examples. I'm more so, I'm, so what I'm doing is I'm trying to be listening and learning while you oh. say cool stuff. And then when I get asked a question, it throws me off because like I'm trying to process things in my brain. Um, well, we are processing things. I, That's a part of this adventure. <laughs> is the whole thing. And then what I'll do is I'll See, go I asked you a question because I realized I was on a monologue. Well, you were crushing the monologue and like maybe secretly I'm like, all right, cool. Like I can lure trip onto the podcast, be like, hey, do you want to come have a beer or six with me? And then I can just like basically steal all your best stuff but um yeah <laughs> well this is i don't know if this is my best stuff this is something but, i've been thinking about which the topic came up now i'm trying it out on you yeah but i i'm digging I'm, well i'm saying so for me i'm liking it it's working i think the harbor imagery is fantastic um how you explained the different ultimates was very helpful i've read um two or three books about that now. And like, now things are coming together in my head. Um, I'm trying to write about that. So that's even better for me. Um, I thought your conversation with Andrew Davis was excellent. Oh, really? Which, what, what the aliens one? Yeah. <laughs> I felt like such a fucking idiot in that entire conversation. <laughs> this is the second time you, you've used the F bomb twice. And I think- I'm sorry. Both of them were at you. You like Yeah, so I'm degrading myself. That means it's not a swear word. Well, I mean it is because I'm causing harm to myself, which I guess I shouldn't do. Yeah, you need a higher anthropology. Yeah, and if I'm gonna believe that the divine exists within me as a potential and that I'm seeking to actualize it in each moment of becoming, talking mm-hmm. poorly about myself is not doing that. Well, you see, and that's the <laughs> difference. Like talking poorly about yourself is more of a taunt talking honestly about yourself because you know that no matter what and no matter how honest you are you're still the very location of the divine embrace in the next moment you know that's that's different yeah <laughs> well i appreciate that how you many stickers are on your cooler behind you a lot that was a youth group idea so that before that was my beer fridge that was in the youth room and it had non-alcoholic beverages in it and so they wanted to like That's sticker good. bomb the side of it so we did there's like That's, you got like a super tone sticker on there a couple hundred i don't they're like random stickers that you can buy like a pack of a hundred on amazon oh okay and i was hoping they were gonna have like ccm band stickers on there maybe no, you got your petra sticker your line k not. sticker mostly we got like this mixed pack and there was like very suggestive ones of like uh people eating bananas in suggestive ways or sucking on lollipops so we used those Did you put a if you put a pantyhose over the banana (laughs) then it would be youth group friendly because it was that was a real game i I no you don't have to tell me i'm a youth group i'm a youth minister veteran (laughs) you know how many games i know that involve putting pantyhose and bananas There's at least a month of joy there because there are certain games that work better when they're fresh bananas. Like, you know, they're still a little green 
And then by the end of the month, if you got a bunch of really gross bananas, then there are different games at work. Super if you throw in if you throw in a couple hundred eggs, then uh there's all sorts of other games that become possible. Well, all right. So this is gonna start bridging into the I guess the second half of this episode. But did you ever play the game where you basically take like the tube that you would have on a beer bong, you crack a raw egg and you put it in the middle, and then you give an Blow. end of the to, yeah, and whoever uh blows the hardest like they're going to hit the other person in the face okay yes i I played this game and you want to know uh someone i think i mean i don't think he's ever lost and i've seen him do it a bunch of times tony jones tony jones (laughs) is so good at this game like you heard uh, it here first folks no well i mean he wrote postmodern youth ministry Right. He, he spoke at youth specialties, all the youth specialties events for so long. Right. And this was one of the things he would do, right? Like youth ministers play that game and he would like just challenge them and just multiple people would come up on the stage and try to beat him at that game. And he would just demolish them all. And uh, uh, later he told me his whole tactic. I'm not going to reveal it. That's the, you have to, ask, I want to be present when you ask him about how to always win that well, game I because think he's got tactic, a tactic i think his tactic is he listens to the andrew tates and joe rogan's of the world and does all the biohacking shit that's like oh, popular okay. and then that's how he like learns how to like hold his breath and, or like but blow they weren't really around they weren't around in the but 90s okay but don't ruin the time like whatever timelines are stupid Marvel thinks so. Nah, he was watching Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 he's like, what, what I do is right before I did, I watch Braveheart. <laughs> the best, the best though, is during that game when a student is smart enough to realize that the funny thing to do is instead of blowing into the tube, turning it to face your opponent. So they, when they blow the egg yolk, they blow it directly in their own face. That's the best. But I I have found that during the A game, the the kids that are in chorus and band and uh, like musicals, drama, yeah. they kick ass at that game because they're trained singers and they have this diaphragm strength, yeah. all that kind That's of stuff. That's when you got to pull out that tuba energy. Yes. And then it makes all the like popular I'm the quarterback kids embarrassed because – they get wrecked at a game and they get egg all over them. And then the girls are not, you know, digging it as much anymore. So, yeah, it's a Watch lesson out. in humility. That's right. Which, Was there anything else you want to say about the incarnation before I, we, we, I think we sufficiently nailed the incarnation, at least, at least in I, the way that's I love, like selfish to me. What I love is how we, we didn't exactly get to what we were going to talk about, but it right. doesn't matter. But I brought that's, up the incarnation. So it's that's my for fault. next year. Yeah. Next year at Christmas, we'll talk about what you wanted to talk about. Think, think about the Christmas carol and go from there. And go from there. <laughs> but this is yeah. a good time, all, all you listeners. If you made it through that, basically Josh talking to me about what he's thinking about and me giving off the cuff responses from a process perspective. You're sitting there and you're like, wow, that was fun. I'm still listening and I benefit rethinking faith. Then, And you're not a supporter. I want you to you prehend. Should you should. I'm pre. You should prehend my judgment right now. 
as you go over and join uh, because I don't know what's about to happen, but I do know that you don't want to miss it because I believe Josh is going to tell us a bunch of secrets about next year. I might tell you all things about theology beer camp. We might dramatically read angry text messages from, we might call somebody our mutual. Uh, It has to be some probably on the West coast. (laughs) Dan has a two day old child at his house. I think we should call him and see if he appreciates (laughs) a phone call. Right. Yeah, and be like, hey, as concerned friends, Dan, we're checking in. We were just checking in. We were just checking in. You have a <laughs> you have a you have a three year old and a three day old. And we just thought that's two threes in a row. Like, <laughs> are you feeling Trinitarian today? Yeah. And that he, might happen. <laughs> well, and also I told Dan one time, uh, I was like, Dan, you know, when I listen to you have permission, those are the days when I'm like, eh, I don't know if like this whole Christianity thing is for me. But then when I listen to Homebrew Christianity, I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely am a Christian. And Dan did not like that. I was messing with him. I almost used the F word. Do you see I cut it there? I was messing with him. I appreciate that. But he didn't. Uh, he was like, oh, please don't tell me that because that's not what that's not my intent. But uh, well, you look, he gives you permission to. That's you true. never even at. I'm not even going to tell you what you have permission to. I'm just, I'm just trying <laughs> I'm just going to preach at you in the second half of this. That's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, Sounds good. That and we might call Dan. Who knows? <laughs> All of the cool kids that, that join your Patreon will will know. They will. Unless there's Merry Christmas, come hang out on the Patreon, friends. Use that Christmas money, you know? Come hang out. <laughs> yeah. And if, you, and, and if you really hated this and have someone you hate, you can give them a year. Of the reason, <laughs> yeah, there you go. If you want somebody, if you want to bore somebody to death or give them theology that you find problematic, that will guarantee they get damned to eternal conscious torment. Gift them a year of the Rethinking Faith podcast, yeah. and my guarantee is they're going to hell. So, <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing. Uh, uh, well, all right, well, all right, well, if you. <laughs> If you want to see the fifth ultimate, <laughs> then you go to the, the receptacle. If you want to dive into the receptacle, that's enough lures. All right, <laughs> friends, Merry Christmas. Thanks for hanging out. And as always, go in peace. <laughs>